What's up, guys? It's Pete Mundo here of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Thanks for downloading this week's podcast. It's our radio show. We put it in podcast form, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you uh, don't already, please do rate, review, subscribe. And if you rate and review us in iTunes and then shoot me an email and a screenshot, I'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie. Just email it to me, Pete Mundo at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Pretty good deal. You'll love the koozie. I promise it'll keep that beer really, really cold throughout the rest of the summer. All right, enjoy the show, and we will talk to you very soon. We continue on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Pete Mundo with you, and we now welcome in a uh, friend and a good guy. He's involved with the website. You read him all the time. He was with us at Big 12 Media Days, and that is Matthew Poston's based out of Dallas, Fort Worth, and he did a fantastic job helping us and really um, being a big part of what we did at Media Days last week. So, Matthew, we appreciate uh, your time as always. And and what I spent a lot of time talking about this week is the fact that the SEC is sitting there with their eight conference games, um, and basically, you know, the debate is whether or not they should increase to nine. Nick Saban insists he's in favor of it. Gus Malzahn says he is as well. But at what point does the entire college football world realize we should probably all be playing by the same rules? I would hope it's soon because, you know, the SEC schedule, we all know that they they schedule these little cupcake games at the end of November. If that's what they want to do, that's fine. You know, go ahead and do that. You know, I get that the schedule is tough and you want to have a breather before you play that last conference game. That's cool. But I, I work with some Georgia alums, and I say, hey, how about that schedule this year? And they're like, I know, I know. they got Austin P and UMass coming. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they stack their schedule with these teams that they should beat early and late in the season. A, it helps them get to a bowl game, of course. But B, more importantly, it, it – reduces the wear and tear. And when you think about what the Big 12 has to do and the Big 10 is going to do, because I think the Big 10 is either at 9 or they're going to 9 very yep. soon, and the Pac-12 is the same way, that's a that's a bigger grind for those conferences to have to go through and play nine conference games because you're playing nine Power 5 schools. So at some point, the SEC and the ACC have to get on board, in my opinion, just to make things more balanced and to give the committee balanced resumes to look at across all five power conferences. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And on top of that, Matthew, I mean, you brought it up and and it's been pointed out, but it doesn't get pointed out enough. Not only is the SEC oftentimes playing, you know, those three cupcake games, they'll play one power five team, but then it's usually uh, three cupcakes after that. Sometimes it's two. But that one in the end of November, I mean, there's no way to put an intrinsic value on how much that actually helps a team. But you get a bye week at the end of November, right before playing a rivalry game. I mean, th- that is that does not get enough discussion from the national media. It just doesn't. No, no other conference gets that sort of you know collective breather. I mean, Alabama gets one, Auburn gets one, Georgia gets one, and you got to give the SEC credit. They understand how their schedule's made up. They understand, like Alabama understands, they're going to have to play Tennessee every year. Uh, you know, Georgia understands they've got a cross rivalry game every year, so they understand how their schedule works and they take advantage of that. Uh, but you know, like I said, it's it, it, it's a bit unfair when you think about a they've got eight conference games as opposed to nine for these other schools. B the Big Twelve pointed out that they're playing, I think, 
37% of their non-conference games against Power 5 schools. I think that's what Dana said at one point during Big 12 Media Days. And three, you know, most of these other conferences have gone to nine games, plus they've gone to these cross-conference games like the Big 10 and the Pac-12 have done recently. So I think from a, a standpoint of just balancing things out with the committee and balancing things out with the playoffs, the SEC and the ACC, I would hope, would get on board at some point with adding a conference game and making things a little bit more equitable in that regard. Yeah, and the noise has to be con- continue to be made by those of us that are willing to make the noise because there are certain folks in the media who we know are not going to do that um, on the SEC's behalf. Matthew Postins joining us. Of course, you read them all the time on the site, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Matthew, the, the, this week of Big Ten Media Day is a lot of discussion around uh, expanding the playoff, and you saw uh, Jim Harbaugh say, I'm good going to eight or even 16. Same with Scott Frost in Nebraska. To me, the great thing about college football has always been its regular season, but I realize that you know over the past couple of years, the committee has not been consistent in terms of what it values and what it finds important. So when you're looking at this, um, do you want to see an expansion? Are you nervous about an expansion and ruining the regular season? Where are you on this issue? I think we all knew this was going to come up at some point because when they decided to go to four teams, we all knew that was going to be better than two in the old BCS system, but we also knew somebody was going to get left out as far as the Power Five is concerned. And, you know, to this point, it's been the Big 12 and the Pac-12 have been left out the most over the past four years. I think the tough part is if you go to eight, which I'm actually okay with, then it's not – I think you have to, A, give each of the Power Five conferences a berth for their champion. I think that makes the most sense. But then do you get into the conversation of do you give the best group of five team a burst into the playoff or do you go to the best three at large bursts? I'm, I'm more on the, on the bandwagon of the ladder because I want to reward the best teams in the country. And if you, if you, get, if you just give the group of five team the berth, I'm not sure that's the best thing for anyone. I mean, maybe UCF last year would have been competitive with some of these schools, but the group of five team is not always competitive uh, in that aspect each year. I mean, Western Michigan uh, is a good example. They were 13-0 going into the Cotton Bowl, and they were not terribly competitive with Wisconsin in the Cotton Bowl that day. So, you know, I'd like to go to eight. I'd like it to be equitable. I think the only way you make it equitable, really, and this, this sounds absurd, is you have four Power Five conferences, uh, which, you know, <laughs> you talk about breaking up the Big 12, you talk about all these other things, but, you know, right now with four teams and five Power Five conferences, the only two ways to make it equitable are either you create four conferences or you tell the group of five teams, you go have your own playoff, you go have your own championship, and we'll we'll handle the Power Five from here. So it, it's a really dicey situation, and I think the – I've been one to want to expand the playoff for a long time. You know, 20 years ago I wrote a column about it, you know, saying let's create a 16-team bowl system – or a 16-game bowl system with 16 playoff teams. Let's use bowl sites as games, and let's have a, a true playoff and a true national championship. And this is actually one of those situations where I hope the NCAA is a little bit cautious about what they do in terms of expansion because, like you said, the regular season is tremendous. It's probably the best regular season in sports, and you don't want to dilute that too much. Matthew, where did you uh, where'd you write that column 20 years ago? i got to go look it up for proof. <laughs> 
Um, I don't even know if it's on a website, but I have a copy of it somewhere. It's in my clip file from my old journalism days. All right. Um, but it was right after, it was right, it was right before they started the BCS and I was not happy about them putting in the BCS. I was even less happy about the poll system, but, uh, I thought to myself, Hey, let's just use all the bowl games as playoff sites and, and, you know, do it that way. I'll, I'll dig it up. I'll get it to you. You can put it up on the website. <laughs> well, uh, Matthew Post is joining us. You read him all the time at heartlandcollegesports.com. Matthew, w- when, you know, you look back on Big 12 Media Days, it's in the rearview mirror. What what coach, um, I don't know if surprised you is the right word, but maybe impressed you the most? Obviously, you know, everyone returned from last year. All 10 coaches are back. Meantime, last year we had three new head coaches. So now that it's the same group of guys back in the mix, which coach were you uh, most impressed by last week? Uh, I was pretty impressed with how how honest David Beatty and Cliff Kingsbury seemed to be about their jobs. They were both pretty, you know, hands off about it last year when they were asked those same questions at, at Big Twelve Media Days, and and this time around they were they were much more candid about it. You know, they I think they both understand they're in unusual situations. David Beatty's coaching one of the hardest jobs in the country at Kansas. He has a new athletic director who has been a AD at Power 5 schools and has been involved in the college football playoff. He knows there's a huge project going on on campus, you know, $300 million expansion project for a lot of different things, including a new indoor football-only facility they're getting this year uh, that he's very excited about. So there's, there's this critical mass building, and when you have all these factors that are coming into play, you've got to start winning football games, and I think he knows that. On the other hand, Cliff is a guy who I think Texas Tech wants to give as much leash as they can give to him because he's a hometown guy. He's been very successful as a quarterback there. I think the people there really like him. I think they want him to be a, a, a guy that wins nine, ten games a year like Mike Leach did. But, you know, they're just not quite there yet. And it was interesting to me as we talked about amongst ourselves that first day because that was, that was Texas Tech day. It was really more about their defense, which never happens. You know, they have had more people on the Big 12 preseason all-defense team than on offense, which is unheard of for Texas Tech. So maybe things are finally starting to turn a corner for their defense, which is great because they have a lot of question marks on their offense this year. What do you think, Matthew? I, I just, I, you know, I think about um, those two teams, and I, I look at Kansas and I say, okay, I mean, Beatty's got to be able to pull off four wins to say that this thing is going in the right direction. Um, and Kingsbury, at, at minimum, he's got to get to a bowl game. But I, I believe, you know, when I spoke to him, the vibe I got was that he even believes he's got to get more into that seven, eight win range to feel good about things. Yeah, I mean, last year they won six games. I mean, they had to beat Texas just to get to a bowl game, and then they lost the bowl game, I think, to South Florida yep. memory serves. Yep. Yeah, I think they've I think they've got to have a winning record this year. I don't, but I don't necessarily think that means that Kingsbury gets fired. It, it, it's strange because again, there's that rope that I think the fans there and the AD and everyone else wants to give him. But when you consider the success they're having on the basketball court and the success they just had in the baseball field and the success they've had in other areas of the athletic department, the football team is lagging behind, and that could end up being a real problem for Kingsbury. As for Beatty, I think it depends on how patient Jeff Long is. I mean, four sounds like a good number when this team has won one game in each of its first three years, or I should say 
three uh, over three years. A game for its first three years. Yeah, yeah, three over three years. You know, four sounds like a great number, um, but they may not get the four. It's mm. really hard to say. I, I think Kansas should be encouraged by the fact that they've recruited two guys who are the highest recruited players they've ever signed in this class. I think that's encouraging. All the things that are happening on campus is encouraging. I think Jeff Long's experience as an athletic director is encouraging. So I think that if he gets four wins, I think he'll be okay. If it's three or less, I think it's going to depend on the quality of how they play this season and the quality of the losses they have, especially against the teams that they probably shouldn't be competitive against. I mean, you know, Christian, they were really competitive in several of the games against teams that they really shouldn't have beaten in the Big 12. Last year, they had more of a problem with that. So, you know, I, I think that it's going to be the quality of the team plus how many wins they get that's really going to decide if David Beatty keeps his job for a fifth year. I think I think Jeff Long wants to be patient to give him a little rope. But if they have another one or two win season, then I think that may force Jeff Long's hand. Uh, Matthew, before we let you go, of the second-year coaches, um, Lincoln Riley, Tom Herman, and Matt Rule, which one of those guys intrigued you the most last week? And, and did you say, wow, that guy really appears to have made a big jump as a, not just a head coach, but as a face of a program in his second year? Uh, I would say as a face of the program, probably Matt Rule. I mean, I think, you know, last year, I wouldn't say he was unsure of himself, but, you know, you, he, he had to kind of apologize for things that didn't happen or happened before he got there. That was kind of the role he was kind of thrust into last year. This year, I felt like it was more about the football team, more about his program, more about the things that he's trying to do for his players. He specifically brought four players with him who are going to contribute this year and have already graduated from Baylor. And I think the message he was trying to send to everybody was, hey, you know, we're, we're starting to turn a corner as a program. We're starting to turn a corner as a school. We're starting to try and put some of this stuff behind us, even though we know there's still some things that are that are moving in terms of NCAA investigations and the Big 12 trying to verify everything in the Pepper-Hamilton report. I think the, the, the confidence that Rule projected with everyone last week in, in terms of how his program is progressing I think was probably the most impressive thing to me of the three of those coaches. He is Matthew Poston's HeartlandCollegeSports.com. You read him there all the time. Matthew, always great to chat, and we will do it again soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. You heard him there, Matthew Postens, and we will talk to you guys very soon. Also, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and send me that review, a screenshot, Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we got free koozies coming your way, and we'll talk to you more this week on the podcast.